everyone. This is Greg Austin, founder of Inclusive Fitness. Welcome to this episode of Raising the Bar. We're going to be talking today with three amazing guests. I'll introduce them in a minute. The topic is uh, something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, and it's, it's come up because of some conversations I've had with a number of parents who have come through the center over the last year. And that topic is strength and conditioning training, the ultimate sensory experience. And we'll get into what we mean by that in a minute, but before we do, let me introduce our guests and have them say a couple of words about themselves. Um, we have Marjorie Hansen, we have Claire Immert, and we have Eric Chesson with us today. So if you guys could just take a second, starting with you, Marjorie, to introduce yourself and tell a little bit about yourself and Will and, and he's there with you. So let's go ahead and get started. Thanks. Hi, I'm Marjorie Hansen. My son, Will, is 22. He is non-speaking and is autistic. And we have been coming to the gym for just about a year. And it has been great. Thank you, Marjorie. Claire, would you introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Claire Emmert. I am an occupational therapist, and I've been working with Inclusive Fitness since September of 2021, piloting the inclusion of occupational therapy services into their model. Thanks, Claire. And Eric. I'm always on the podcast with you, Greg. <laughs> Introduce yourself anyway. <laughs> I am Eric Chesson. I am the Director of Programming, uh, Director of Neuroadaptive Programming and Innovation for Inclusive Fitness and the founder of Autism Fitness and creator of the PAC Profile Method. Excellent. I'm so glad you guys are all here. I think it's going to be a great conversation. So uh, let's get into it. Um, as I mentioned, the, the topic is strength and conditioning training, the ultimate sensory experience. And uh, I'll give a little bit of background about why we thought this would be an interesting conversation to have. Um, it's not too uncommon that we might have a parent or a caregiver walk into inclusive fitness um, and they love what they see and, and uh, they, they, they see it as a, as a good option for their child, whether that person is an adult or, or not. Um, but an oft, oftentimes we get the question, you know, do you have a, a sensory space or where is your sensory space? And my answer now is absolutely uh, we do. It's on the gym floor. That is our sensory gym. That is where it happens. And, you know, that surprises some people. Uh, because when we think of sensory gyms, uh, oftentimes you, you think of a space where uh, there might be a lot of swings, there might be platforms that people can swing on, there might be uh, different types of, 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 of objects that provide some sensory stimulus. Um, and by the way, you know, Lucas uh, absolutely took advantage of those types of things, uh, especially when he was a little bit younger. But oftentimes we have uh, even uh, parents of older kids, um, and I'm talking, you know, well past their 20s and even into their 30s that are still looking for that sort of thing. And, and you know, as I said before we even started the podcast, you know, absolutely nothing wrong with it. I think those can be really tremendously helpful. But at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's worth asking the question and, and posing the, the idea that strength and conditioning training really is a, a truly profoundly effective sensory experience for people who are neurodivergent. And as we were preparing for this conversation, we, we thought of a, a few layers to that and we'll be kind of diving into those. Um, and those three layers are, first of all, the, the physiological, how does the body feel? Uh, the second is the psychological. How does one feel about oneself? 
And then the third is sort of, I guess you can call the, the lifestyle or the ADL activities of daily living level, which is how does it affect your life uh, outside of what you do here at Inclusive Fitness or in any, any similar type of gym. And so we wanted to, to talk about each one of those in turn. But before we do that, um, I thought it would be really helpful, Marjorie, if you would uh, talk about uh, your, especially Will's experience um, at, the, at the facility. Um, and you know, we've asked him some questions through his letter board. He's shared some amazing comments with us. And I'd, I'd love it if you could channel Will and, and, and share those experiences with our audience uh, from your personal perspective. Yeah, so Will, like many, maybe most autistic individuals has apraxia or but sometimes it's called dyspraxia. Sometimes it's called developmental coordination disorder. But basically that is, um, that affects his motor and coordination or his planning for his his planning and coordination of his fine and gross motor. And so the first time we came, I could see it when um, he was doing hurdle steps. So he would take a step with one foot, take a small over the hurdle, take a small step, and then take the next step over the hurdle with the same foot that he initially started on. And within a month, he could alternate his hurdle steps. Yeah. So just within a month, there was noticeable improvement in his motor planning and his coordination. Yeah. And yeah. so in terms of like how it has helped him, it's been amazing. Um, Great. Great. And, and I think so like five to 10% of the population has dyspraxia. But when you're talking, I don't know the numbers for within the autistic community, but it's pretty significant. Yeah. And anything yeah. we can do to help them control their body is, is so necessary. I mean, it, it was interesting because we've asked Will about his apraxia and he described it as actually a war between his yes. brain and his body. And so... So that has been amazing for him to like work on his motor skills and get more control over his body. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I remember some of those earlier comments when you were working with the letter board and he, he, he did express it as a, a war and him even saying to himself, brain and body, you need to start working together. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was so powerful. That that self awareness, Will, was amazing. I love seeing him back there, buddy. I love it. Will. It's good to see you, man. Um, yeah, and, and you know the problem is with non speakers, you don't know what if they can't tell you what's going on. You're just guessing what's going on. And so I think there's value in extrapolating Will's experience, not to every non speaker, but to other non speakers. And I have appreciated that you have asked Will questions, that you want his feedback, that you're looking for ways to improve um, the experience for him and implement it. And I think that level of respect that you have towards the athletes makes inclusive fitness, 
a good place to go. It makes it um, respectful and where you really value confidence. I, I appreciate you saying that. And um, is Will okay? <laughs> He's probably not used to seeing me on the screen. <laughs> um, well, thank you for saying that. And um, maybe you could spend a couple minutes uh, talking about it from that sensory standpoint and, and sort of what he's shared with you and what you've observed, um, you know, that, that, that ability to come in here and now he runs in and you, sh you should express, uh, share with the, the, the audience what he said in that last set of questions that we asked and about his liking or not liking exercise. I would love to hear your, your, your interpretation of that, but also what it means for him from your perspective to be able to come here, get that feedback and, and be able to push that sled with 140 pounds on it and to do those overhead presses and to, to get that feedback physically and, and how that makes him feel after he's done. Can you talk about that for just a sec? Yes, um, it was it was a little surprising for me uh, when we asked him um, how he felt about exercising and he said he really didn't like to exercise that much. And I thought, you sound like me. And uh, because when Will comes in, he is, he comes in ready to work and he works hard. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he lifts and pushes a lot of weight and he just works hard the whole time. And so I just assumed that he loved working out, but he said actually that he does it because he knows he needs to do it. That's so powerful. Okay. And, and, and Will, I'm, I'm talking to you too now, and I, I know your mom's probably going to weigh in here, but I think um, you, you are like a lot of us. We may not necessarily like working out, but we know how important it is for us. Um, and, and, and I think one of the things that Will, you said to us in, in answering those questions and Marjorie, you can talk to this was how it made him feel afterward. He, I think he said something along the lines of, I don't feel as unfit when I'm done. Right. Right. Um, about changes in hit, like changes in his body in terms of developing more muscle. And, um, he said that he feel, he, um, doesn't feel like he's in as bad a shape <laughs> as he yeah. was when he started. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 the last question I'll ask for you, and then I want to get Claire and, and Eric to kind of weigh in here, is what you observe in terms of his regulation or dysregulation before and after he works out. What have you observed things uh, that that you think maybe a result of the fact that he is getting that sensory input. I mean, I, I, I know how I feel when I finish a workout. I, I did a, a nice hard bike ride yesterday indoors, of course. And I was sitting in my car. I was like, oh, God, I just feel so much more grounded and relaxed. And that, that was due to that intense sensory experience I had. Can you comment about maybe what you've observed from, from an outside perspective? Um, well, Will um, is a pretty regulated individual normally, which has been, it's, it's great. Um, and I, I've just noticed really that he's like happy to go and he's, um, you know, maybe a, 
or he's he knows he needs to go and he and so he's like willing to go um and but as far as regu as far as like regulation he is pretty and he's pretty even killed so he's pretty he's pretty even killed the whole time got it yeah. i will say he's also pretty ready to leave when we're done <laughs> he literally bolts out the door and goes to the car which kind of aligns with his comment like i don't want to work out i just know i need to yeah. <laughs> which is so cool i'm yeah. proud of, by the way and will i hope you're hearing me i don't know if he's still in the room but i want him to know how proud i am of him doing it because he knows intellectually it's the most important it's, it's an important part of his life and and it's good for him and that's more than a lot of people get themselves to do we all know it's important for us not everyone is is as willing and eager as he is to to see it through so that's that's a pretty powerful testimony to what it means for him and and he did mention that he knows that you want him to be healthy and um right when i read that i almost I, when I read that i almost cried and so just to know that that he appreciates that i mean you couldn't ask for more than that so i appreciate him sharing that with us so um thank you marjorie and and, and feel free if you if you want to drop off i love having you on so please feel free to stay on as well but i don't know if you need to get dinner ready or anything but but whatever works for you is great for us okay but please feel free to stay on um because i'd like to hear from claire and eric kind of their experiences and any any comments or questions they might have for marjorie and will as well so i'll open up, up to either one of you guys well i just i just want to say thank you to marjorie and will for for sharing that i think you shared so many powerful insights about your experiences and the one that really hits me is just you know, this, this concept that we deserve, every person deserves to be challenged. And we all have opportunities in our life to demonstrate grit and to demonstrate resilience. And it's interesting, you know, when disability comes into play, we have these assumptions about a person's grit, right? And we, we have assumptions about the reasons why they're participating in an activity that's hard. And it's, it's kind of like you shared, Marjorie, you were surprised that will actually doesn't like exercise, but he knows that he needs to do it. And he's able to engage in that challenge for, for the benefit at the end. And like you said, Greg, that's something to be respected. That's not a quality that, you know, so many adults have, right. Exercising is hard. That habit and routine is really, um, it's something to be proud of and something to be, um, admired. And I think that's just, again, one of the, the biggest benefits of a space like inclusive fitness is it provides the opportunity for people who otherwise wouldn't have it to, to demonstrate their grit and to engage in challenge and to reap the benefits of overcoming challenging things and develop that self-mastery and the impact on someone's self-esteem right, is just immeasurable to be able to, to engage in that. So I'm, I'm just so grateful that inclusive fitness and will found each other and that he has he has that space to to really um exercise that potential yeah i'm lucky that we have the have that have that intersection as well claire i, I echo everything you just said eric um would you like to weigh in and, and certainly feel free to ask uh marjorie or will questions um yeah yeah, I, I think, and and again, Marjorie and, and Will, you know, really thank you for being on because it's so, 
it, you know, the real litmus test is the question of what actually happens. And that's the question whether we're talking about, you know, what goes on in the facility or what goes on for that individual once they come home from the facility, because they're training a couple hours a week, but, you know, you're living every day. So ultimately, any, any the viability of any program is in what are, what are the actual effects of that as well. So for both you and Will to be able to, to share that, it, you know, it validates everything that, that we do. And so that, that's a big deal. I think also the idea, and Greg and I have spoken about this a lot too, the idea of, you know, liking something and certainly a, a, a core tenant of, of sustainable or lifetime exercise, there has to be some type of enjoyability factor. But I think that sometimes we compartmentalize the term like if we're consistent with something and if we continue to do it and it has some reinforcing quality, the reinforcing quality doesn't necessarily have to be immediate. You know, Will has said, okay, I feel better. I feel you know, stronger um, and, and so forth. That reinforcement may not come while he's doing the squat or five minutes after he's done the squat, but two hours later, maybe, and, and uh, you know, along, along his lifetime as well. So the payout may not be immediate in, in terms of the, the reinforcing or the enjoyable nature of it, but certainly there's something that is, is solid enough or that is enjoyable enough or that it, you know, has enough stickiness to it that you have that consistency. And I also think about it, and Greg knows I go off about this stuff all the time, but I love to know the history of all of these different things. And if we look at if we look at the hit, the historical nature of fitness and physical activity in the in this country, it's not good um, in terms of where we are in the modern age. So you have kids who play, you know, they play as toddlers and, and they move around a lot, and then kind of they either play sports or they don't. So you have ten or fifteen or twenty or thirty years of not really moving vigorously, like not not a lot of it. So then the expectation is, oh, yeah, you have to start moving again and you have to start to like it. The vast majority of athletes that I've ever worked with in their adolescence and teens and adulthood don't like it to begin with, number one, because of what you've been speaking about earlier, some, some of the dishabituation around movement and some of the challenges that we have in the neuroadaptive uh, population, and two, the fact that we simply don't do it in our, in our culture, that we don't prioritize physical activity. And then, you know, sometimes we act surprised or shocked when someone doesn't find exercise immediately reinforcing as a result. Well, you've had 10 or 20 or 30 years of not moving. You know, what's the expectation? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I, and I, and I think I'd like to kind of build on what you just said, Eric, and, and kind yeah, of get, yeah. the, get, get the group's thought on uh, something that, that I, I, I talked about at the beginning of the conversation, which is, you know, we, we do have some folks who come in and, and say, hey, um, you know, m my 20-year-old uh, or 30-year-old son, they, they really need to have a sensory gym. And my response, of course, is we, we do. Uh, and this gets to something, Marjorie, you mentioned a minute ago, which is about presuming competence. Um, because I, I, I'm curious what the group thinks about this. Um, 
again, there is an absolute place for sensory equipment, sensory gyms, the sensory experience that we typically think of uh, today. Um, yet at the same time, and this, this might seem a little bit controversial, but I, I, I hope it isn't. Uh, I tend to think that uh, because most people don't presume competence, uh, and, and, and I'll be more specific about that, they don't necessarily innately believe that their son or daughter can exercise because they've never had an opportunity to, or they've never had exposure to that, that right set of programming people in place to be able to do it effectively. So they never even experienced it. Um, they, they, they don't think that they can. And so they do know, however, that they can sit in a swing and, and they can spin or they can uh, do other types of sensory things that are, are, they are, they do help with regulation. They do help uh, in some respects, um, uh, uh, you know, in, in other ways, but uh, they may not be necessarily challenging. Um, I'll recall a personal experience where I know that Lucas, we used to go to a sensory gym when he was much younger and he would sit in the, in the swing they had this was suspended from a very high ceiling and he'd spin and he'd spin and he'd spin. And he would do that. He could, if we, if we left him alone, he'd do it for hours straight. Uh, and, and then I remember other people bringing in their kids who were, and I say kids, they were in their twenties and thirties and they would do the same thing and they wouldn't get out. And it was very self-sat, it was very satisfying for them. And it gave them a, a very sensory, uh, a sense of sensory input, but uh, it was transient. When it was done, it was done. And there was nothing in my opinion at the time that was necessarily productive. So they weren't building muscle, they weren't building skills, they weren't um, engaging in a learning experience um, and they weren't being pushed physiologically or psychologically to try something that was challenging. And so when, when, I, when I see that, I think to myself, is it time to start asking, can we reframe what the sensory gym is? And can we start presuming competence by expecting more, not so much of our athletes, but of ourselves, right? As parents and caregivers, can we say, you know what? I'm going to do what it takes to give my, my son or daughter or the person in my charge the opportunity to develop that grit, to have that challenge, to try something that is, is going to be a productive physiologically and, 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 and effective psychologically and develop skills outside of the gym that will make them have a higher quality of life and yet give them that sensory input simultaneously that they want and need. And, and I, think it's, I think we tend to lean towards a more simplified sensory experience because it's hard getting our guys, Marjorie, what you do to get Will here, the commitment you guys have made over the past year to drive him here twice a week, to be here with him, to, to engage with us, to help on the programming, all of that, that's hard work. But you've presumed that competence, you've seen the results. And, you know, I, I suspect, you know, you keep coming back. <laughs> that's a good sign, I think, right? And I, I, I think it's maybe time for us to, to challenge the status quo and, and, and maybe reframe the concept. I drew a little box with my fingers while ago of how we see the Century Gym today. I think we need to draw a much bigger box by presuming competence and suggesting that yes, 
These guys can learn it. It's just, we need to learn how to teach them in an environment where they can be successful. So I want to open it up and Marjorie, I, I know you're, I see you're nodding your head. Can you weigh in on that concept for a second? And I would love Claire and Eric to weigh in as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that inclusive fitness provides a scaffolding for that to happen. Oh, I had signed up Will at a, at a local gym and I was trying to take him and I took and our like BCBA came and we were trying to like get him to walk on a treadmill and do an elliptical and he hated it. Like it was miserable to get him yeah. to yeah. walk on a treadmill for 15 minutes. Like mm -hmm. I gave up after three months because it didn't have the scaffolding. And it's not like you can just go to any, you know, coach or any trainer and say, can you like teach, teach my son to exercise? Because, you know, some people are intimidated by yeah. disability and they don't presume competence and if you're not presuming competence when you start you're never going to get very far and so i think yeah. inclusive yeah. fitness provides the scaffolding where they can be successful that's mm -hmm. huge that means a lot and and in, in terms of reframing the concept of that sensory experience, I think, I think you're, you're hitting hit when you talk about presuming competence and the, the need for all of us to do that, but that's not enough. It's necessary, but not sufficient. We have to have that scaffolding framework, if you will, to, to make it possible. Well, and, and I mean, when you're talking about sensory, you know, I don't necessarily look at it that way, but it makes sense because I'm looking at it from a motor point of view mm. and getting control of your body is sensory. And so I'm just approaching it from a different perspective of Will is trying to like have his brain in better control of what his body is doing. And so if, yeah. Yeah. if there are a lot of other people that are experiencing these motor planning issues, like exercising purposeful motor is the only way that you are going to like work through and, and work through your apraxia. You know, a lot of people do it through sports, but exercise is an equally useful way. Yeah. yeah. Eric and I have even had a conversation about sort of sport versus, uh, exercise and we have we have strong opinions about that but we each has its own place um and e each can can benefit our guys it depends on how they best respond and can play if you will in those different environments so uh claire and eric do you want to weigh in on that yeah i was just gonna say i love i love that comment marjorie because i think it touches on the inclusive fitness taps into so many benefits for an athlete that maybe, you know, like even as the, the family or the athlete, we don't realize is happening. And so, you know, you just said from your experience, you understand that it's benefiting him from a motor planning, um, angle. 
But when I look at it, right, I'm thinking about if Will's pushing, uh, you know, a sled with, you know, close to 200 pounds on it, the type of proprioceptive input that that is providing deep pressure to the joints, right, is huge. And then you think about the cardio aspect and the deep breathing that's happening and how that calms the nervous system. It's just, and then you get into the whole, you know, the psychological benefits of accomplishing something that's challenging and the confidence that builds over time. And so there's just all of these layers of benefits for an athlete. And I think that's, what's so amazing about thinking about this as a sensory experience is that we get to really expand, um, like you said, Greg, our, our understanding of what a sensory gym could look like and what the boundaries that we've placed on that and how really it comes down to creating the right environment for someone to, to really flourish and reap those benefits of exercise, just as we all, all need. And Eric, before you jump in really quickly, I just want to build on one thing she said, and I'll shut up. <laughs> you give me that look. <laughs> um, it, it, <laughs> you know, Marjorie, I love the way you said it, like, like Claire just reiterated from a, you know, you, you, your perspective is from a motor planning standpoint. And I'm thinking about what Will has expressed to us and through his letterboard that it, it feels to him like a battle, a war between his mind and his body. And I think about what Claire just said, you know, that, that proprioceptive feedback, that pressure, it, it is making that connection between the brain and his body. And he is in, when he's here, he is in command of his body in a way that he, maybe he isn't in other situations. And he's learning to make those connections and build those neurological networks uh, in, his, in his brain uh, so that he can actually have control, not only here, but in, in the real world. Uh, and, and so I see it, it's, it's really a great perspective. It's both motor, it's sensory, but then there's a the physiological stuff that I know Eric wants to probably touch on too, uh, which, uh oh, am I, am I not foreshadowing you properly? Give me that look again. So, but I, that, anyway, I, lo I love that intersection of how your perspective and ours is sort of emerging. So Eric, what, what did you want to share? Oh, that, was a, that was a really good uh, segue, actually. And there's something that Marjorie had mentioned, which wasn't even golden, it was platinum, <laughs> that it, it, the perspective is different about, uh, you know, sensory input, but, and, and what really needs to happen, and, and you're completely on, on the right pathway of what's the actual question that we're asking about, like, what dictates sensory input, and is our scope of understanding it too narrow, which is all, it, it happens often, like, the, the thing that we see the most is the, is the thing that we're going to equate with that particular term. So, oh, sensory, okay, it swings, it's balance beams, maybe, it, you know, it's, it's soft lighting, it's, uh, you know, it's this experience. And ultimately, most of it is passive. It doesn't make mm. it bad, it makes it passive. So then we have to ask the question, well, and, and not bad versus good passive versus active. And Claire touched on this a little bit as well. If we're then looking at passive versus active, we have to ask the question, is the passive work supplying the necessary, you know, your, your necessary, necessary RDA recommended <laughs> um, strength and conditioning movement? And the answer is simply no. Passive work is not active work. And anybody who wants to argue that is, it's gonna be an interesting debate there. So you can have both of these things. And then 
ultimately it comes down to priorities. Like what are the priorities here? Well, if we have these, you know, these challenges that we see that are generally strength and motor dysfunctions, and we know for a fact that more passive activity it is not going to appropriately aid our athletes in negotiating these things, well, then we need something that does. You know, it can't just be wishful thinking in that one day the beanbag chair is going to enable them to squat better. It's not. Yeah. It's just not. So we, we have to figure out what the, you know, what the appropriate amount of time is spent doing each thing. You know, for any of us, relaxation and like the weird stuff that we do just to, to calm down in our own lives um, is appropriate, certainly after hard training or after a long day. And, you know, like my, my wife knows after I've been to, you know, through a, a very long or exciting day, she'd be like, go watch wrestling. And I will watch pro wrestling for 45 minutes. And I'll come. So, you know, we have these sensory, it, 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 these passive sensory experiences and by passive, it doesn't necessarily make it less than, but it puts it into a category where it's not going to satisfy all these things. And the last thing I'll say about that is it's a conversation that Greg and I have been having ongoingly for the last five years, which is, uh, which is the expectation for an individual should not be relegated to what we think it, what we think they can do it's let's test what they can actually do and that was the whole point of creating the the pack assessment it's like all right well at some point everybody who's ambulatory can squat we just need to figure out what level at at some point everybody who has full use or even partial use of their arms can do a press or can do a push we just need to figure out, like we needed to figure out that, you know, 150 pounds on the sled would work for Will. So we did. So that's his active engagement in, in physical, you know, physical literacy. Right. Yeah. I, I'd like to um, kind of uh, start to wrap it up here. And, 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 and I, I really appreciate everyone's comments. I'd like, Claire, if you could talk just for a minute about uh, something that we, we've all sort of touched on, which is sort of how what we're doing and how strength and conditioning uh, training affects people's uh, lives outside of what we do here. And kind of from your occupational therapy standpoint, um, the, the things that we're doing, the sled pushes, the, the overhead presses mm -hmm. and, and the pulls and all that. And then I'd like to, to give Marjorie the last word uh, to talk about sort of her final thoughts on, on what it means for, for Will and for her, uh, from any one of those perspectives, from the physiological, the psychological, the, the lifestyle or the ADL side of things, um, once Claire has had a kind of a, an op opportunity to, to share her thoughts and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. So Claire, do you mind sharing your perspective there? Sure, yeah, I, I appreciate the question because I think that's, that's what drew me into inclusive fitness from day one, you know, the bread and butter of, occupational therapy is function, right? Like mm -hmm. why, why are we strengthening your arms? Why are we strengthening your legs? Oh, so you can engage in an activity that's that you need to, or want to do that's meaningful to you. And that is, that is the approach that 
this gym takes, right. And gives, gives the opportunity to athletes to strengthen their body so that they can go out and have access to occupations that make, you know, make their lives improve their quality of life. Like we've mentioned before. And let me stop you you for one second, because I, I do want to be very clear. You you've opened my eyes, Claire, to what you mean by occupational therapy. Mm. Uh, I think just take one second to get kind of define yeah. that because we have a narrow scope of what that we do. Too, really yeah. It's true. Yeah. I, I, I always like to tell people it's, it's called occupational therapy because it's, it's focusing on the activities that occupy your time. And that is a huge range, right? So any activity that makes up your daily life, that occupies your time, that is the scope of intervention for an occupational therapist. And so, you know, Marjorie, when you were talking about Will's first session and being able to do a hurdle step, right, my mind immediately goes to how does that translate into his daily life and improve his function and access to opportunity? And so I'm thinking, you know, curb cuts, escalators, right, hiking, um, all of the times we have to navigate an uneven surface in our environment and having that skill, having that function, it, it, it's a way to ex- expand your world and gain access to the, you know, activities that improve your quality of life that allow you to fulfill your roles, um, engage in meaningful occupations. And I think that's, that's the point of, of this work is that, you know, we, we know that every person deserves to to be able to do that. Um, and by, you know, not presuming competence by, by allowing that opportunity to become stronger, to, to improve your fitness. Ultimately, that's what we're doing. We're, we're giving someone the tools to improve their quality of life through functional fitness. Thank you. And, and, and before I give it over to Marjorie, um, I just want to kind of echo something and tie what you just said, Claire, with what Eric was saying. When you think about our time that we have as, as like a, a pie chart, and I think this is kind of what you were getting at, Eric. Where do we spend our time? And all of us have our things. Like you said, you like to watch wrestling. I like to watch cooking shows when I'm, when I'm, when I'm done working here. <laughs> That's what I do. I get on YouTube and I watch Japanese cooking shows. I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> it's my thing. But I, I don't want to have a big slice of my pie on that because that's non-productive and it's not making me a stronger, better person, but it's okay to do it. Cause I need that downtime. I think we have to also think about, I'm thinking like, you know, sensory passive and I'm thinking sensory active and productive. If we can spend more of our time on that pie chart on those things that are productive and active and do the things Claire that you were just talking about that make our lives, the quality of our lives better um, because we're, we're safer, we're more effective, we have more opportunity and access. That is the real goal. Doesn't mean take away the other stuff, but maybe balance it out so that you, you can do both. You can watch your Japanese cooking shows or your wrestling, but you also work out. And you make sure you're probably doing more of the working out than the watching of the cooking shows. Just saying. So <laughs> with that in mind, Marjorie, I'd love to turn it over to you and then I'll wrap up. But any, any thoughts that you could share uh, on anything we've talked about today, uh, you know, Platinum or gold or silver or bronze are more than welcome. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was inter- really interested in what Claire was just saying um, you, because I haven't thought about it as much uh, about from that perspective about how it's affected Will. But you know, a Will, like many um, autistic people, you know, had weak, weak 
like core strength and, um, you know, and so we've been working on core for years, but if your core is weak, you know, some, sometimes you just collapse into a couch instead of sitting down. Like all of those things matter because you can break couches, you know, if you routinely fall into a couch because you lack the core strength to sit down. And, um, and, and I was thinking a little bit about my dad as he has aged, um, he's lost so much strength. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about, well, if, if he doesn't have a lot of strength to start with, if you don't have a lot of muscle tone to start with, when you start um, aging and you start, um, when things start getting harder, that's, that's a bad trajectory to be on if you're starting at a lower level of strength and a lower level of coordination. So that just makes me feel that this is even more important. I, I think that's a really, really important point. And I'm glad that you've taken that away from this conversation, Marjorie, because that's something we think about all the time, but we probably don't express it enough because everyone gets older. Everyone, everyone's body does degrade over time. Everyone can at the same time slow that degradation through exercise and high quality movement uh, that's very consistent. And that can be up until very, very, very old. But if you don't start soon enough, it, it gets harder. It doesn't mean it's never, it's never too late, but the sooner you can do it, the, the more you build those habits and that, 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 that fundamental strength and also that grit and that ability to tolerate it and then eventually enjoy it inherently becomes a part of your life. Uh, and as, as we know, as both parents, you and I, Marjorie, uh, we're not going to be around forever. And we're not going to be around for our guys when they need us at those older days. And that's a hard thing to contemplate, but it's true. And if we can give them those skills, those habits, and that desire uh, to do this, uh, even when we're maybe no longer in the picture in the same way that we are today, um, that's a great gift uh, and one that will, will hold them well into their older age. Like, you know, you mentioned your father, same with mine. Now, my dad had open heart surgery several years ago. Now he's lost 60 pounds. He's hiking every day. He's out in New Mexico in the mountains. He's healthier than he's ever been. But, you know, not everyone gets that chance. So I think if we can structure it in a way, provide that scaffolding, like you talked about, then I think, you know, our guys have a, have a good chance to have that higher quality of life. So, well... Uh, does uh, Eric, uh, we, we didn't give you a last, do you want to have anything else you want to say before we shut down? <laughs> I, I gotta be careful because you'll take 15 minutes. I know. I know that. That's <laughs> why I'm, I'm, I'm hedging my, I'm hedging my pontifications here. Um, I, I think there's so much richness in this. Um, I, I almost say, and I never say this, but you know, leave this leave this where it is right now. I, I think that there are so many subtopics that we have at our disposal here that we can use in, in future conversations. So I, I will respectfully leave it at that. Um, I want to say for the record, that is a first. That, is uh, a first. that Eric actually said, I'm going to cut myself off. 
<laughs> <laughs> so well done. And, and Marjorie, uh, I appreciate you muting. Yeah, I was getting a little bit of feedback, feedback as well, but no worries. We could still hear what you were saying and it was very, very thoughtful. I appreciate that. Um, so Marjorie Hansen, Claire Immert and Eric Chesson, thank you for a, a really great conversation and, and sharing each of your perspectives on this important set of topics. And I think there's a lot more we could talk about and, and hopefully you'll all be back again uh, at some future date to, to continue, that, continue that conversation. So with that, I uh, thank you and thank all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Raising the Bar. Uh, we hope this was informative for you. Always feel free to um, uh, get in touch, share ideas and ask questions. You can get a hold of us at inclusivefitness.com. Thank you again. This is Greg Austin with Inclusive Fitness signing off. Thanks. <laughs>